Well, we're, uh, th- we're in a, s- a series right now called Spiritual Questions We All Ask, and in this series, what we're trying to do is that, is uh, we're going to kind of take a little bit and go through and say, uh, what are the questions that tend to be in the back of our brain? Maybe we don't say it out loud, uh, but there are things that can either nag us or they can become barriers in our relationship with God. Or a lot of times we'll sense these from other people. We'll, we'll kind of blame, you know, like asking for a friend kind of a thing. We'll kind of blame somebody else for this question, um, but we, we need to know the answer ourselves. And so we're just kind of walking this through, uh, kind of step by step. And I think at the end of this, at the end of this series, what you're going to have is like a catalog or a library of answers. Now, I do not think we'll answer every question because ultimately following Jesus is something we do by faith. So it's a choice that we make. We choose to believe in what we cannot and we'll never fully understand. But sometimes the information around that or the thinking uh, from God's mind is really, really helpful when, when, we, uh, when we tackle these things. So that's what we're trying to create for you. So even as we, uh, we head into the summertime here, we scatter a lot as a church. We have a team, in fact, we have a team right now down in Mazalan, Mexico. So we do a lot of these trips, a lot of camps, a lot of vacations, all that kind of stuff. Uh, this is probably worth catching the podcast on or catching it up later uh, to get your head around it a little bit. So last weekend, I talked to you about just what is the essence of salvation. And we said salvation, the Bible says salvation is by grace through faith. Salvation is not a reward for good works, but it's a gift that's given to us from God. And that's a really big conversation, and I think a really, really important one. So it may be something you want to grab if you want to be able to be a part of it and, and uh, kind of catch your mind up a little bit on the, that one. Now, this, this next question we're going to tackle is an interesting one, and it's a, kind of an intense one. So this conversation this weekend is going to be uh, a very uh, simple but extremely complicated conversation that we're going to have. So we should all make, everybody raise your right hand. We're going to make a vow, raise your right hand. I vow to pay attention to Jeff. Okay, there you go. So like we're, uh, we we're going to do some heavy thinking and I'm going to take you down some heavy pathways because it's a heavy question. It, it's not a wildly complicated question but it's a question that has a lot of ramifications and, it, it's, uh, and it's, it really, really forms our view of God. So here's the question we're gonna ask this week is how can a loving God send people to hell? How can a loving God send people to hell? If God loves us, if God created us, if he did all that for us, then how come hell is like an option that, that's on the table when we think about our relationship with God. So let's talk about hell. You want to have some fun? Let's talk about hell uh, for a little bit. And uh, let's just talk about what hell is and what isn't. So a lot of times when we think about hell, we often have like the cartoony versions of hell. You know, you're going to get thrown down and there's a pitchfork and a devil with some horns and you're going to get boiled to death. And, and a lot of times we'll have kind of that, that understanding of hell most of the time when we think about hell, uh, we pick up our, our view of hell and our concepts of hell from other places other than the Bible. So Tom and Jerry teach us about hell. Uh, Hellboy teaches us about hell. Uh, if, you have, if you're a, you know, a sophisticated person, uh, Dante's Inferno teaches us about hell. But we'll see all of these different views, all of these different images, and all of those kind of form our, our view of hell and what hell is and what isn't. So 
how can a loving God send people to hell? Let's, let's start by like talking about what hell is and what the Bible is the most clear about when it, when it talks about hell. So if I was going to describe hell biblically on a 30,000 foot view level without getting way, way into the weeds, uh, the Bible basically says that hell is basically three things. Uh, hell is separation. So in hell, we are separated from God, and we're separated from all aspects of God's heart. So we would wake up every day. If you woke, if you woke up today, you woke up in being affected by God's grace. If you uh, drove outside today and, and you have any kind of material substance, you got clean water, clean food, and, and a change of clothes, you are being affected by God's love and his abundance. Uh, if you, if you uh, uh, woke up in any kind of a good mood, you're, you're being affected by the mercies and the grace of God. So hell, on a big high level, hell is separation from all of that. It's looking at, and God is looking and saying, if you don't want me in your life, I won't make you be in my life, and you will be separated from me. So all of my mercy, all of my grace, all of my love, all the benefits of things that I bring into your life will be removed from your life, and you will be separated from me in hell, okay? The second thing, kind of a high-level 30,000-foot view that the Bible talks about when it talks about hell is it says, it describes hell as destruction. So it's the destruction of the body and it's the destruction of the soul. And so you'll hear a lot about suffering in hell and torment in hell and, and some of that is in the Bible, some of that is in the Bible, doesn't always apply to humans, sometimes it applies to Satan and his demons, that you have to kind of be careful about where you get your views of all those things because they can be cartoony. But the big word, the high level word is destruction that my life will be destroyed if I'm separated from God in hell. Heaven would be the opposite of that. So I'm welcomed into life, I'm welcomed into abundant life, I'm welcomed into eternal life. Hell would be the opposite of that, that there would be a destruction of the body and the soul. And then the last word that I would put in, if I was using just three, is I would use the word justice. So a lot of times when you think about hell, you hear about God's wrath, you hear about punishment, some of those things are in the Bible, of course. Some of them do apply to humanity. Some of them apply to angels and his demons. Again, you kind of have to be careful that you don't just get like some movie version of this. But what is clear is that there will be justice. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, destruction, separation. But the gift of God is eternal life. That, that's heaven. The Bible says that there will be justice brought. So everyone who has ever been unjust to you, they will face justice. Uh, when you think about global characters, the Hitlers of the world and the Maos of the world, the Saddam Husseins of the world, there is a justice that will be brought to them and that applies to me too. Like my sins have consequences and my life has consequences. So if I'm talking about hell, on a very, very high level, these are the three things that, that we will be talking about in concern of that. That there's a separation from God, that he's fully removed from my life. There's a destruction of the body and the soul. And then there, there's a, a justice or an account or a punishment or a wrath, a righteous wrath that God would pour out 
on all those who, who have neglected or walked away or rebelled against him, okay? So when I talk about hell, I'm talking about these three things and that playing out in, in real time. So it's interesting that when you look at the Bible, you'll basically find those themes. You'll find different words, right? I understand that, but you'll basically find those three themes as you go through and you think about hell. And when you think about that and those three themes, when you think about that, think about that as literal. So I do not believe, and I do not believe that the Bible teaches that hell is a metaphor or hell is figurative. So hell is a space, it's a reality, and it's a reality that, that just like heaven is a space and it's a reality, it is there and is there for God's purposes and it is there um, as, as a place that is a place of separation, a place of destruction, and a place of justice, okay? Now, when you think about hell, if you looked at me and said, Pastor Jeff, how come, are, are you sure it's figurative? Are you sure it's really a space? Are you sure it's just not people who live life outside of God and their life is like hell kind of thing? Do, do you really think it's a, it's a real space that has like a real parameter to it? I would say, yes, I do. And if you ask me why, the main answer I would tell you is because that's what Jesus believed. So Jesus talked about hell. And he actually talked about hell quite a bit. And Jesus taught about hell. And he taught about it, what it was like. He taught about it in metaphors. He taught about it in figurative. But he also taught about it in a literal sense. So Jesus talked about hell. Jesus warns about hell. So when you think about separation, destruction, and justice... Jesus gives warning to that. And if you go back and read his teachings, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the first part of Acts, you'll see that Jesus warned about this. It was very much on his mind. Jesus would say, I came to rescue people from hell. So he would look and say, I came to seek and save those who are lost. He would look and say that the whole motivation of me stepping out of heaven and coming down to earth and living life and laying my life down was a huge part of that was to free people from the consequence of hell. So he believed in it, he taught about it, he came to rescue, and he gave his life so that we could avoid hell. That was a major motivation for him, and that motivation was so strong that he went to the cross for it. So when you, like, when you think about Tom and Jerry and all these cartoony things, and then you think about the cross... And you think about the Son of God coming to save us. You think about the Son of God suffering, the Son of God laying his life down, the Son of God being beaten and dying on the cross. That's not cartoony stuff. Uh, that, that's not movie stuff. This is something that would have been very much on Jesus' mind, very much in his heart, and a direct reason or motive that he came to intervene in our, in our lives. And he looked and said, that, that idea of separation is something I never want you to have and never want you to go through. The idea of destruction, I don't want your soul body destroyed, I want to give you life and life to the fullest. And that the idea of justice so motivated him that he went to the cross and said, you know what, I'll pay the penalty for your sin so that you can avoid the justice that's tied to hell, right? So for Jesus, hell was a real thing Hell was an important thing, and hell was something that was on the forefront of his, of his mind. Okay, so back to our question then. Back to our question. 
How can a loving God send people to hell? Now, I'm going to tackle this question, and this is where you just made a promise you were going to pay attention to me, right? So this is where we have to, like, work on this here this weekend. I will say this up front. If you are a person who has said, I will not trust God because a loving God cannot send people to hell, that makes no sense. If you're a person who says that I do not, I choose not to believe in hell, I think that that was fabricated by the church and they used it to get money out of people and they've done that for a thousand years. If you're kind of in that camp, I want you to know, I'm gonna to try to answer this question, but I want you to know, up front, I cannot answer every question about this. I promise you that, that when you leave here this weekend, you will not leave fully satisfied with, with everything that I, I take you through because, because, I cannot answer the baseline question, which is not why do people, why does a loving God send people to hell? The baseline question is actually tied to how we think about Christ, right? Now, what I am gonna do here is I'm gonna ask you for permission. If you're a skeptic, which is fine, there's some real questions around all this, but if you're a skeptic, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you if you'll entertain a different question. Because how can a loving God send people to hell? I don't believe is the real question. So if you just for the next few minutes, just for, for, for funsies, if you would entertain a different question, then I might be able to help you get your head around this a little bit, okay? But you're, you're the one that has to do that and kind of let your guard down for a second if you're willing to, okay? So here's what I would say. I don't think the real question that's being asked is how can a loving God send people to hell? I don't think that's the real question. I think the real question is this. Do I trust Jesus as a loving God or not? That's the real question. So it's not about whether God sends people to hell or not. The real question is do I trust Jesus as a loving God or not? Because this is how this works. If you say yes... If you say, I trust the heart and the mind of Jesus, then what's gonna happen is you're gonna have peace about Jesus' teachings, ready, and his mystery. There's parts of Jesus that we cannot and will never fully understand. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So when you talk about hell, Hell is one of these areas that we cannot and will, we will never fully understand because I do not have perfect justice. I do not have perfect love. I do not have a perfect life. I am not God. So to me, hell is always gonna seem unfair, right? Now what's fascinating is we face the same dilemma when it comes to heaven, Heaven is also something that the Bible does not describe in detail. It describes in big pictures. So if we're talking about heaven, I'd break it down to three words too. But we'll tend to trust Jesus with heaven and we'll tend to pull back that trust when it comes to hell. So if I do not trust at the very, very core, if I do not trust that Jesus is a loving God, then I cannot, I will never fully accept his teachings and I cannot accept his mystery. So the question, the question of do I trust Jesus as a loving God or not is the real question, right? Because if I do, I can accept his teachings and I can accept the mystery 
or I can put my faith in him, choose to believe what I cannot and will never fully understand. If I do not, then I will not trust his teachings and I cannot trust his mystery. Or I will not, maybe is the way I should say it. So that question is the question. And if you, if you feel skeptical about this, if you would entertain that question for a minute, just for funsies, if you would entertain that question of do I trust him as a loving God or not, that's the only way for me to actually address what hell is and what isn't, right? Because this is what happens. Depending on how I answer that question, whether I trust him or not, everything he says, everything he does, and everything he mandates in my life takes on a different perspective. So uh, years ago, uh, Grace Church used to do a play. We do it in the fall. And uh, the way that we set this play up was that we would make a scene of the play in different classrooms around the building, and then you would walk around the building, and as you saw, as you go into each classroom, another scene of the play would, would unfold. So I was in charge of this play, and uh, used, to, used to write it, and used to kind of lead the, the effort to put it on. It was a lot of fun. Um, but I always like to be creative with it. So the, the first year I did this play, I, I wanted it to be kind of eerie, a little bit. So what we did, this was down at our Norton campus, we went and we bought, I don't know, a thousand yards of fabric, hundreds of yards of fabric, and all these little old ladies in the church turned all this fabric into curtains, and then we would hang poles from the, from the, the ceiling, and we would curtain off the rooms or curtain off the hallways. So it kind of felt like you were going into like a haunted house kind of a thing. And it was kind of eerie and you didn't know it was back there. And it was awesome. It was, it was so much fun. So we opened up this play and it was a big hit right away. So we were going to do it for like 10 nights. First two nights we had like a couple thousand people come through it. And it got so much attention and created so much traffic around the church building that the local police and fire authorities started to notice what was going on in our church building. And so um, they, they, we ran it for a couple of nights. The next day before we ran it that night, the fire marshal came into the building. And he came into the building and he walked around the building and he, I was with him and he walked around and he goes, um, you can't do this. And I'm like, I can't do what? Marshall Bill, you know, like, well, I can't do what? And he, he goes, um, he goes, you can't have these curtains hanging all over the hallways with this many people in the building. I'm like, what's the problem? And he's like, you can't see the exits. You can't find your way through. He's like, you can't do this. Well, I immediately tensed up and I, on the inside. And I was like, listen, jerk. Like, I, 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 this, where's America? I got religious freedom. You can't, you can't stop me from doing anything. And I started to argue with him a little bit. I'm like, that's, that, I don't know. He's like, I, you can't do this. And it started to get tense. And, and on the inside, I'm thinking, you arrogant, power hungry, somebody gave you a badge, now you think you run the world person. That, I was so angry. And he was like, uh, what about egress? I'm like, go that way. Every, and what about and all these words I didn't know or care about? And he just kept saying these things. And every time he would say, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that, my blood pressure would, would go up. So I'm at a boil, and I'm angry, and he can tell. He can tell I'm mad. And he, meantime, is like getting stronger and stronger. And I said, well, I said, we're just going to do it, man. We're just going to do it. 
And I said, you'll just have to find me or something. And he looked at me and he said, Jeff, he said, if you do this, I will come in here with the sheriff and I will shut you down. And I was like, all right, let's play. That's what I thought. I thought, let's play, right? So he looked at me and he said, he said, will you do one thing for me? And I'm a pastor, so I had to say yes. And so he said, come down to the fire station with me. I want to show you something. So he went and he cut a piece of that curtain off. He said, come down to the fire station. I want to show you something. So I went down to the fire station. I was really mad. I had my arguments. I called my lawyers. I was ready to go. I go to the fire station. He said, I want to show you something. And he took that fabric and he put it over a bucket and he got out a, a lighter, a flickabick, and he lit the bottom of that fabric and that fabric looked like it had been soaked in kerosene. Just zoop, gone. And I about threw up. And I thought, I, I looked at him, I was pale and he, he, I said, oh my gosh. He goes, Jeff, I'm, I'm trying, that's what I said, I'm trying to help you. And I looked at him and I said, we would have killed 300 people. He goes, that's what I'm trying to say. He said, one, one person plays a prank. One thing goes wrong. This stuff, you would have people in a tunnel of fire with no ability to find an exit. Now, because I didn't trust him, it didn't matter what he said or why he told me he was saying it. I wasn't going to hear it. When he showed me, I started to trust him. And I trusted his heart. Oh, you're not trying to control me. You're not a little man with a big badge. You're trying to warn me. You're trying to protect me. You're trying to make sure our church doesn't go bankrupt with the lawsuit and that we don't harm a bunch of people that we say we're trying to love. And my whole relationship changed with him so much so we did that, we did that program for 15 years. From then on, as I was writing it, I would run everything past him. And I'm sure he was as flexible as he could possibly be with a few things. And he also knew that I hurt his heart. And I was trying to honor the safety he was trying to bring to me. Okay. Now, how can a loving God send people to hell? Right? Let me propose something to you. The Bible says this. The Bible says that hell is not a place that we might go one day. The Bible says hell is a path that we are already on. So this is what the Bible says, okay? The Bible says this. For everyone has sinned and all fall short of God's glorious standards. This was our whole conversation last weekend if you want to listen to it. So everybody has sinned. Everybody has fallen short of God's standards. And then the Bible says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wages are what I earn for what I do. So everybody has earned spiritual death, separation, destruction, justice. Everybody. Everybody is on a path that is taking us to hell. 
But God loves us, knows that reality, and is trying to speak truth into that reality. The fire marshal wasn't saying to me, I don't know, Jeff, maybe one day this won't go well. The fire marshal was saying to me, I've given my life to fighting fires, and I'm telling you right now, you're going to kill somebody. It's a path that you are on, and you have to trust me that I know that path. At the time, I was probably 25. You've never dealt with this path. You don't understand this path. You didn't even know this material was flammable. Trust me, this is a path that you're on. So he steps in, like Jesus did. Jesus loves us. This is what the Bible says. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. God steps in to the path that we are already on. Jesus comes, he lives, he dies, he lays his life down, he raises it back up again so that we can have salvation. And the way that Jesus describes this is he says, guys, there's a broad path and there's a narrow path. Everybody's on this broad path, but I've came so that you can have this narrow path created, a path of escape, a path of salvation, a path of rescue. That is what I'm trying to give to you. And if you will follow me, if you will follow me, I will steer you off of this path to hell that you're already on, right? Now, if I was you, I would ask a question like this. Jeff, if this is true, <clears throat> why, did God, why did God not just create us to automatically follow him? Like, if that's the deal, why is there a broad path? Any God? So why did he create us in such a way? If, did he just create us to go to hell? Did he just create us to do what we're told or pay for it? Why did he create us so that we have to make these decisions? Okay, ready? If I never existed, this would be the logic that you could think of. If this is a risk in my life of going to hell, why didn't God just cause me not to exist? Because if I never existed, I would never go through pain in my life. If I never existed, I would never like struggle with anxiety. If I never existed, I wouldn't have any spiritual responsibility. If I never existed, I would never be in danger of hell, right? And I suppose that that's true. And what I would say is, I'll give you that that's true if you let me flip the coin. So if you stop for a minute and say, say to yourself, what is it that I love in life? What do you love? Do you love your children? Do you love your loved one? You love music, you love nature, you love sports. What puts a smile on your face? What, what, make, what makes you weep with joy? 
What do you love in life? Okay. Now, if I never existed, I would never have any of these issues. And I would look at you and say, and if you never had it, if you never existed, you never have any of this joy. And those are both tied to God. So it's back to this question of trust. Did God create me so I would suffer and be in pain and die and go to hell? Or did God create me to be in a relationship with him to have joy and fulfillment and meaning and purpose and experience love in my life? Because if I never existed, then I never get to experience all the wonders of existing. So God created us to love us. He created us to know us. He created us so that we could love him. Sin separates us from God, but Jesus intervenes and when Jesus intervenes and we know about his intervention, it's not so much that we have a spiritual responsibility dumped on us. Now that I know about Jesus, I guess I have to do something about it. Now that we know about Jesus, what we have is we have a choice. We have a choice. Because God loves us, he gives us a choice because I can't love you back if I don't have a choice. So why didn't God just create us so we all love him? Because he wants our relationship with him to be built off of love. And I can't love you unless I can choose not to love you. And Jesus comes, and when he shows up, what he's doing is he's creating a choice. He says, guys, we're on this path. It's not that you'll maybe go to hell one day. It's that you're, you're on your way there right now. But I demonstrate my love to you in this, while you were still sinners, Jesus died for you. God loved the world and he gave a son. Not to condemn the world because we're already on this path. God didn't put us on this path. But so the world through him might be saved. And based off of the choice that we make, based off of the choice that we make, our eternal pathway is laid out. All heaven and hell are is my choice surrounding Christ played out eternally. So if I make a choice to say, I want to know Christ, I want to be with Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, I want to understand Jesus, I want to... I want, the, the fruit of Jesus in my life, love, joy, peace, patience, I want that. Jesus would say, great, just follow me to heaven. And you will have that forever. You made that choice. If I say, I don't want to be defined by Christ, I don't want to be, I don't want to trust him, I don't want to yield to him, I, I don't want him controlling me, I don't, Jesus would say, okay, do what you're doing. And if you want to create separation between you and me, that separation played out forever is hell. If, 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 you, if you want to, to risk your body and your soul and, and 
divorce that from me, then okay, that's, that's hell. If, if you don't want to respond to my mercy and grace, and I'm trying so clearly to make it clear to you, you don't have to. But that justice is coming. That's what I've been trying to say. That's what I've been warning you about. That's why I showed up on the planet. That's why I left you at the church. That's why. So that justice will play out, and it will play out eternally. So back to this question, how can a loving God send people to hell? Ready? You got to listen close to this. Ready? Remember your promise. How can a loving God send people to hell? Ready? He doesn't. He doesn't. Our choices determine the trajectory of our eternity. And when I choose Christ and I want to receive Christ, I receive Christ eternally, so to say. And if I want to separate from Christ, I separate Christ from Christ eternally. And all I'm doing is I'm choosing who I follow. It's a really fascinating thing. The Bible, Jesus never asked who wants to go to heaven. That, that question is not in the Bible. What Jesus asks is, who will follow me? So when I accept Jesus, I'm not really accepting Jesus to go to heaven. I'm accepting Jesus to follow Jesus, and that's where he's going. And I follow Jesus to the place that is the opposite of separation where all of my sins are forgiven, where I am, the fancy word is sanctified, I'm fully sanctified, I'm made like Christ. There's nothing that separates me from Christ. I follow Jesus to the opposite of destruction, eternal life and life to the fullest and completeness and no more tears and no more sorrow. And, and I follow Jesus to the place that's the opposite of justice, a place where I live eternally in the grace and the mercy and under that benefit eternally and perfectly. So when I say I want to receive that free gift and I'll follow Christ, all my eternity is, is me deciding which path I'm taking. Am I following the one that Jesus is taking to the place he's taking it, so to say? Or am I following my own path which in the end, the Bible says, leads to my destruction, okay? I got a phone call from a friend today. It was a funny phone call. And uh, my friend, <laughs> I picked up the phone and they said, you won't believe what just happened. I'm like, what just happened? I just got pulled over. I was like, oh man, what happened? She's, and, and, and my friend was like, this jerk cop pulled me over, such a jerk. And I was like, what? what do you mean? Oh, he's so arrogant. He was such a jerk. He stopped me in the middle of the road and kept me sitting there for 10 minutes. And I just can't believe what a jerk he is. <clears throat> Power hungry, jerk, small town cop, had nothing better to do, right? I said, well, what did he pull you over for? Oh, I was only doing 52 and a 35. 
And, 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 uh, and then she goes, and she goes, and then my back tail light was out. And he said, that was a citation. And she goes, and then, she, then he said, my license plate was obstructed. And you're not allowed to have your license plate obstructed. And then she goes, and then I didn't have an up-to-date insurance card. And he was all upset about all of it. What a jerk. I said, oh, man. I said, I, said, uh, I go, what, what kind of ticket do you get? And she goes, oh, he let me go. She said, she said, yeah, he gave me a warning for all of it and told me to have a nice day. Can you believe that? I was like, wow, real jerk of a, real jerk, right? Okay. Listen, this is how we interact with God if we don't trust him. Can you believe what a jerk God is? If I don't accept him, I'm going to hell. Can you believe what a jerk God is? He points out my sin so I can do something about my sin. Can you believe what a jerk God is? And then if I looked at you and said, well, what, what's the consequence? Oh, nothing. I mean, you know, God bless you. Life's pretty good right now. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it's a fascinating little verse. It says this, the law simply shows us how sinful we are. Why does God teach us about hell? Why does God point out our sin? What is the point of all of that? It's the warning. See? The cop wasn't a jerk. He basically was looking at my friend saying, listen, I'm going to let you go, but you're going to get a ticket down the road. I'm going to let you go, but like you, you got to like go to Jiffy Lube, get your turn signal fixed, because the next guy is going to write you up. I'm going to let you go, but like your insurance card's supposed to be updated. I'm going to let you go, but like you got to re-ring. And when God talks about our sin, he's not harping on us. He's not a little man with a big badge. He's looking at us and saying, listen, listen, I know the road you're on. And I know where it ends. Well, I don't think I'm on that road. I know you don't think that. I don't believe I'm on that road. I know you don't believe that. But you are. And I've been God a long time. And I know how this plays out. And I'm, try, I'm trying to say to you, I'm trying to say that you, you have to make a different choice. I do love you. I'm not out to get you. I could have written you up on any number of things, but I keep letting you go because I love you and I don't want this to end the way that it's going to end a loving God intervenes because we are on the path to hell a loving God intervenes because we are sinful and cannot provide our own salvation a loving God who created us, created us to have relationship with him. 
and the pain and the suffering and the injustice and the wickedness that has happened to us in life is a taste of hell. But the love and the joy and the peace and the fulfillment and the blessings is a taste of heaven. He even explains it to us through our lives. And then Jesus who came, Jesus who made a way, Jesus who suffered, Jesus who died is the Jesus who looks at you and me and says, who will follow me? I know where you're going, but I know where I'm going. And if you will follow me, I'll do it all. It's a gift. I'll do it all. I'll do it all. I'll do it all. Just follow me. And I will take you to the place that the Apostle Paul says, he says this, he says, what is mortal is swallowed up by life and it's God himself who created us for that very purpose. Jesus says, I will take you to the place and to the relationship that you were actually created to have. Follow me. There's a choice. I love you, I want you to love me. So I give you a choice, and I'm asking you, I want you to choose me, Okay. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me, and the band will move the platform around here. Let's just take a kind of a breath and invite God into working in your heart here. So Jesus, just in a, in a still moment, would you interact with us very, very personally? And Jesus, as we just bring our minds and our hearts directly in front of you, would you let us sense your presence and the peace and the comfort and the truth that comes through your Holy Spirit? Guys, in this place, can I just ask you a couple questions? Here's the first one. Have you chosen to trust Jesus? It is a question of faith. I, I will never be able to answer all your questions. I will never be able to erase every doubt. And I'm very grateful that you at least heard me out this weekend. It comes down to faith. Have you ever put your faith or your trust in Christ? Choosing to believe that he loves you and choosing to believe that he has created you for your good and to know him. And if you've never done that, I encourage you from your heart to God's heart to make that decision now. It's a decision to love. It's a choice to trust. And what that means in part is that we trust Christ over ourselves. So the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a person, but in the end it leads to death. The Bible says, but there's a Savior who came not to condemn, but to save. Would you trust that?
then I just wonder if you're following Christ. You know, when I was a kid, I was asked one time if I wanted to go to heaven. Well, who doesn't? <laughs> you know, who wouldn't choose that over hell? But nobody ever asked me if I wanted to follow Jesus. I didn't even know what it meant. So part of the reason why my walk with God was dry and cumbersome and burdensome and frustrating and demanding is because I didn't understand what I was doing. And I wonder if you're following Christ, really getting your, your head around his heart and really receiving his words as words of love, protection, help, He's not a little man with a big badge. He's a loving God who's seeking to protect and help you. And maybe even now, just renew that relationship and renew that trust with him. Jesus, help us. Trusting your heart's hard, but you know that. That's why we live under your grace and mercy. God, would you help us to know you, help us to walk with you, Help us to trust as you lead us down your paths toward your heart.